Hello, I'm Garni Barkajarian of the Pacific Neuroscience Institute and CNS member for more than 10 years. What I love most about being a member is access to cutting edge science and the opportunities that have advanced my career. I've also gained new colleagues and lifelong friends. Being a CNS member has been so rewarding. The value of membership cannot be defined by a number. Join me and the over 10,000 neurosurgeons who are making a difference in the world. Visit cns.org slash membership podcast today. Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of the CNS Journal Club podcast. My name is Brian Sawe and I'm the fourth year neurosurgery resident at the Medical University of South Carolina. I have the pleasure of organizing and hosting this February edition of the podcast. We have a great group of guests joining us today to discuss this newly published article in the Red Journal, Global Outcomes for Microsurgical Clipping of Unruptured Intracranial Aneurysms, a Benchmark Analysis of 2,245 Cases. To get us started, I'd like to have our guests introduce themselves. First, we are privileged to have the senior author of this study, Dr. Dorson. Dr. Dorson, do you mind introducing yourself? No, not at all. Thank you for having us. Uh, it's a great pleasure. So yeah, my name is uh, Lasse Dürsen. I'm a senior consultant at the Department of Neurosurgery in Hamburg, Germany, which is in the north of Germany. And my subspecialties are um, uh, neurovascular surgery and uh, neuro-oncology. Uh, neuro All right. And for this edition of the podcast, we're fortunate to also have the first author of this study, Dr. Richard Drexler, joining us today. Dr. Drexler, do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, thank you so much for the kind introduction. I had been the pleasure to work with Lasse Dursen on this yeah, fantastic study, I guess, in the past years. Um, I, I had been working for two and a half years as a neurosurgical resident in the department of, of Lasse Dursen, also in, in Hamburg, Germany, and uh, moved recently last year um, to Stanford to focus on some research and doing a postdoctoral fellow uh, fellowship um, in the neuro-oncology field. Um, but yeah, as said, I, I had been the pleasure during my time as a resident to to work on some cerebrovascular studies. Um, and I think this was the main main output of my of my research time. Great. I'm glad to have you. And last but not, not least, we have the venerable Dr. Alejandro Spiota on the podcast as a guest interviewer. Dr. Spieta, do you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Absolutely. So, Brian, thanks for the invitation, as well as the CNS Journal Club podcast group for the, for the opportunity to join you guys. And Dr. Durston and Dr. Drexler, I look forward to learning from both of you. So, my name is Alex Biota. I'm a neurosurgeon, and I head up the neurodevascular division in Charleston here at the Medical University of South Carolina, also the vice chair of the department. And I also have a, a keen interest in international registries and data sets as the PI of the STAR network the stroke thrombectomy and aneurysm registry. So really excited to see uh, this paper have been selected. I look forward to the discussion. Again, thanks for having me. Thank you all for your introductions. Uh, so today we have an internationally renowned group here of uh, both open and uh, endovascular neurosurgeons to discuss this pertinent topic of benchmark outcomes for clipping of unruptured aneurysm. I'd like to start with Dr. Dorson and Dr. Drexler. Uh, could one or both of you please give us the background behind this study and just taking us through the key findings of the article. Sure, I, I can can go ahead and um, 
give a bit of background on on the paper so the all everybody can can understand when we're talking about in the next probably 30 or 45 minutes um mm -hmm. basically the key aim of our study was to establish um yeah as the title is saying global outcomes for um for microsurgical clipping of unruptured aneurysms um we applied um, a concept called benchmarking which um which I'm aims to improve surgical outcomes and to to try or tries to to standardize um, um, the outcome of patients um, by introducing reference values. Um, the whole concept is basically um, introduced by by a group of um, general surgeons from Zurich, Switzerland, a couple of years ago, and yeah, got a lot of attention in the past years, and so we. We try to to establish this concept in the neurosurgical field for the first time. Um, we collected collected retrospective data um, of patients who underwent um, microsurgical clipping of of unruptured, unruptured aneurysms um, and collected data from fifteen centers worldwide, um, including I guess four from four continents. Um, the whole concept is based. Um, that the patient's cohort um, is divided into low-risk and high-risk patients. So the benchmark outcomes, the reference values um, are described on the lowest patients, the so-called benchmark cohort. And basically that's the way we did it on these um, on this data set from the 15 centers. Um, although we, we included 2,245 cases of patients who underwent open treatment um, of these roughly 2,000 patients, um, 800, 852 were, were categorized as benchmark cases, so um, being a lowest patients and um, um, where the patients, we established these benchmarks and reference values for several outcomes. Um, we, we described a lot of post-operative outcomes up to an um, follow-up time up to two years. Um, I think the, to brief, briefly summarize the main important outcomes, um, we looked into favorable neurological outcomes um, described by the modified ranking scale um, for like achieving or patients achieved roughly about 96% um, um, this a good neurological outcome after surgery. Um, also the we described a general post-operative complication rate in hospital mortality, which is um, comparably low um, as expected after elective surgery. Um, also, length of post-operative stay of ICU stay, um, which we would, I think, going to discuss uh, later in the podcast. Um, and I think more, most importantly, we also described the aneurysm closure rate, which was um, seen and or the benchmark was set as ninety-seven. Uh, 0.1 percent as ditch discharge and um, increased up to uh, 98 percent at a one-year follow-up. Um, so it's a long, I would say, a long list or a long table <laughs> of uh, of different outcomes, um, which would, which should um, just guide other centers, uh, other registries um, um, to look into. A international cohort and to to compare their own results with these reference values to see 
if they can match um, match these reference values or if there is room for improvement in their own, for example, in their own department or in their own country, whoever um, whoever is the person who compares to our data. Um, so yeah, in, in summary, I think our, our study um, presents internationally applicable benchmarks, reference values for the most important outcomes after after microsurgical clipping of an unruptured aneurysm, um, which could yes yeah, serve as reference values to other other centers and registries, and also for future treatment modalities, um, comparing open or or endovascular techniques. Thank you, Dr. Drexler, and thank you for for publishing this this very timely data in this rapidly evolving field. Uh, your paper certainly brings up a lot of discussion points. I'd like to start with Dr. Spiota, if you uh, happen to have any questions for, for the authors. Absolutely, absolutely. First of all, um, my my congratulations on this great work. And I just want to underscore the importance of having these sort of, you know, large studies that remind us to continuously check our outcomes. And Brian, you alluded to this rapidly evolving field is what you call it. And that's exactly what it is, in particular with aneurysms, but really anything in our surgery this can be applied to. There's always new techniques, new technology. So there's always a little bit of a, you know, conflict or a balance that must be maintained between exploring new avenues um, while while ensuring the best possible, possible outcomes. So having data as a benchmark or reference um, is very important for our own, you know, analysis. Um, so I would recommend that we all have these, you know, data sets available. And also I would encourage everybody to have your own personal data sets. So how's my institution? How is my group? What's my practice? Are my MCAs better repaired surgically or endovascularly? And that's always a, a difficult conversation to have with yourself, but that's something that you must do, especially like I mentioned, rapidly evolving, but also your practice may also evolve over time. So having subjective, um, data or sorry objective data that you can lean on is extremely important um my first question to the to the authors is of course the data is, is retrospective and multi-center it's a large data set i think the biggest bias and i want to ask you how how you think we should we should manage this bias is we're getting you know the data we're getting for the ruptured for, for the surgically treated aneurysms is those that the centers and the operators of the centers did not want to treat endovascularly. And that's going to be, you know, physician dependent, center dependent. Um, so there's some bias there. We're seeing a selected group of patients. So walk us through, how do you think we should um, evaluate uh, or weigh the data and the results based on that bias that may be present? Yeah, I think that's that's a great, great point. Um, we just cussed this point several times before yeah, planning the study and also when we anal analyzed the data, um, we we tried to tackle this to um, to when we defined um, or with our definition for including some centers, um, we only included departments or, or hospitals um, which have the possibility for open and endovascular treatment. So um, and also made the make the decision for going for open or endovascular surgery in a in an interdisciplinary conference so um, i think this standard needs to be reached that there are 
um, openly trained neurosurgeons, but also endovascularly trained neurosurgeons or neurointerventionalists um, um, deciding what's the best treatment for the patient. And um, I think that was one of our main points that every department, every center included in the study is able to treat in both ways. Um, the other point was as an inclusion criteria that centers need to be able to have an um, neurologically or neurosurgically um, specialized intensive unit care um, just to just to see that every department is able to treat any kind of aneurysms and that there are no no let's say exclusion criteria for the patients um, and yeah that was the way we try to to tackle this um, we also collected just the number of cases um, in each department during the same time period which were treated um, in the endovascular technique, um, which was not influencing our, at least the, the range of, um, or the proportion of benchmark patients. Um, so yeah, we try to, to tackle this with our inclusion criteria, but it's, yeah, I think we, it's, best way we we could have done it um but it's in very important questions absolutely thank you and were there any results i don't know brian if you're going to show some of the results yeah um here let me pull up we can pull up the benchmark results here yes yeah. so that's yeah. basically yeah representing um all of our um benchmark outcomes um benchmark outcomes which are calculated as we take the low risk patients um we calculate the median of each center and then as previously defined or described in the literature um, for this benchmark concept we uh, calculated the benchmark cutoff as the 71st percentile of all these centers median so basically this i think in my opinion that's a good concept because every center participating in this study and um every center who gave data to this study is um represented in the same same way so there's no bias in in that one one center is including for example 500 patients another one is including 150. So um, they are represented in the same way, given that the quality um, based on our inclusion criteria for the center should be the same, hopefully. Yeah, Dr. Drexler, I'm going to go back to here, uh, to this uh, figure here. And this was your establishment of this benchmark criteria. I think it's just a very clever way of trying to establish this homogeneity of data to try and establish this benchmark or ideal cohort of patients so that we can establish that homogeneity. And I think this translates to all aspects of neurosurgery in an evolving field where we're taking data from different centers together. This allows us to share data and, and again, establish that homogeneity. I wanted to, to go back to this and and go over the benchmark criteria that you guys established and and what was the process of of establishing these uh, certain parameters yeah great great point um at first it was a long process <laughs> to establish mm -hmm. this benchmark criteria or to define it 
Um, um, the recommendation by the Zurich study group was to, um, to define these benchmark criteria um, for each procedure in our, in our example for the aneurysm um, clipping um, based on, on the current literature. So we searched, um, we searched in the literature for, in the best case, meta-analysis. There's one in, in JAMA published a few years ago, I think in 2017, which um, helped us a lot. Um, but based on the current literature, we, we just checked which parameters, for example, the known factor posterior circulation or higher age of the patients, um, which are known to just negatively affect patients' outcome after clipping. Um, and that was the process. It's all based on the on published data, um, which is yeah kind of varying in the evidence. To be honest, um, that needs to be mentioned, I guess. Um, but it's based on on existing existing and published data. Got it. Thank you. Uh, the next uh, figure I wanted to bring up was uh, this figure one. And note, Dr. Spiota talked about managing some of the biases amongst the centers. I think uh, here, where you, uh, it's a, a great figure that shows all the centers, the proportion of benchmark cases to non-benchmark cases, and also the proportion of cases that were treated with clipping. Um, so there is, I mean, there is some heterogeneity between these these international centers, certainly a center that does 500 aneurysm clippings in a four-year period or half are healthy benchmarks. Uh, patients surely has a different experience than one that does 50 where only a handful are healthy benchmark patients. Uh, do you believe that this disparity impacts the homogeneity of the data and should some of these outliers be admitted to better reflect a real world international experience or expectation? Yeah, that's, that's such an, uh, an important aspect to discuss. And I think it needs to be acknowledged um, to the readers or by the readers that there are, that we have centers with a very um, yeah huge variation in, in the number of cases treated. Um, also, when you see it's um, it's in the light blue, the percentage of benchmark cases, we have a variation between in center one, for example, 16% had been benchmark cases um, up to nearly 50% in center 15. I think that shows the variation um, between the centers treating um, low risk or high risk cases. Um, nevertheless, this range, um, between the, the percentage of benchmark cases is quite, um, um, is actually matching all other previous papers describing benchmark outcomes. Um, not in the neurosurgical field because this wasn't introduced um, for neurosurgical procedures before, but for general and transplant surgery. So um, every other study had seen this variation in their, um, in their analysis. Um, I think one one thing to mention is that we for for calculating I think I mentioned it before for calculating the benchmark um, the benchmark cutoff value um, every center um, is having the same weight um, we just calculating uh, or calculated the median of each center so basically um, the importance of center one is the same as center fifteen. Um, 
nevertheless it needs to be needs to be acknowledged right. that the experience um is certainly different i guess in a center which treats 500 cases in a four-year period compared to 50 or 70 i guess um cases in the same period um yeah um there's yeah needs to be a knowledge i think that's the best way to mention it um yeah we we had our inclusion criteria for the centers which i i introduced before um and we yeah didn't know beforehand um how the proportion of benchmark to non-benchmark cases would be or how high the, the number of open treatment open open treatment patients um, would have been. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, that's that's a great, great point to mention, I guess, for everybody. Yeah. I guess the thought that I'm having now is potentially to dilute that effect. Could you have included more centers? Of course, that makes the logistics of organizing everything more complicated, but is that something that you all considered? Of course. So, so uh, this I could answer perhaps. Mm-hmm. So, um, but there's this definition of uh, of how you should um, uh, prepare this kind of study for benchmark um, studies, and it's and it 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 actually says that you need um, different centers from three different continents, and um, so of of course your data gets more valuable the more centers you have. But it was it was even tough to get these fifteen centers, right. and and so we are uh, we were actually quite happy. Yeah, no, I think uh, getting fifteen centers to come and collaborate together is a, a pretty incredible feat. Um, so the next, uh, I wanted to bring up this table that has the uh, really the benchmark results that that you guys were able to share with the neurosurgical community, uh, Dr. Spiot. I wanted to. Open it up to you. Was there any results here that stood out to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, as we took a look at these benchmarks, I think the length of stages looked a little bit longer than I would have expected. I think the durability annuals inclusion was extremely high, and I think that was not a surprise. Um, I think those are my my main initial reactions. Um, Dr. Dursen Drexler, what, what were your thoughts? Anything that surprised you? Um, yeah, I think the length of hospital stay is one of the main, uh, or the mostly discussed parameters, <laughs> had been the most discussed parameter in, in our group, um, with like a benchmark of 7.7 days. I think that is for some of these outcome parameters and especially the length of hospital stay, or maybe also the length of ICU stay is, um, highly influenced by, the different healthcare systems. Um, um, when a bit looking into the data stratified by continents or by countries, um, um, we saw a significantly longer uh, length of hospital stay in European countries, um, which is yeah, it, which is due to the different healthcare system when compared, for example, to the US or to North America. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's highly biased by it and it needs to be, to be mentioned. Um, I think the length of hospitals stay when just looking into North American, um, hospitals would probably like two days. Um, 
and yeah it's it's highly different in europe um where you could be fined when the patients are staying too short which is i think quite a ridiculous fact but that's the way it is so um uh, especially length of hospital stay is is mainly driven by uh, by the healthcare system of, of our included countries and centers got it makes sense so yeah regional practice and you know that's that's the strength of having such a, a diverse and broad um number of sites contributing to cases now uh, something i was curious about brian the, on the previous slide you know i was looking at the experience of the various centers and specifically by volume and higher volume centers i think what surprised me i was expecting in the higher volume centers to be taking on more complex cases which i would have expected but not necessarily to be reflected in non-benchmark cases a higher percentage of non-benchmark cases in the higher volume and there's a lot of information on this graph there's the volume percentage you know of benchmark cases and the percentage of you know clipping over all the aneurysm treatments but i wasn't seeing the trend which i would have guessed again the higher volume taking on more com higher complexity cases low benchmark or sorry non-benchmark higher risk so I just want to get your reactions to that i think i think what this reflects is um it, it's it's just that the endovascular treatment is just getting better and better even for even for complex uh, aneurysms so i think i think that is what we uh, what we actually see here i see maybe also, to, well, to add sorry uh excuse no, me go ahead <laughs> just 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 maybe to add um i think it's it's fair to mention that we um you would have expected that because it's it's um when you when you take a look at the um benchmark existing benchmark papers for general surgery which is mainly focused on on pancreatic and liver surgery or transplant surgery um, um you can see that um high or higher volume centers are having a lower um percentage percentage of benchmark cases so they're fairly treating um treating higher complex cases or patients, higher risk patients. Um, but um, yeah, I think we're in a different, probably the cerebrovascular aneurysm field is, is yeah, um, is a bit different um, than it is for, for liver or pancreatic surgery. Um, and I think that's, um, that's why the, the um, mentioned reasons from, from Lassadeus and are uh, uh yeah valid for this maybe for this explanation that we're not seeing this trend in our graph and then one last question i know that it wasn't the focus of the of the study but did you see some some signal regarding you know high volume centers and and um achieving these benchmarks at a higher rate or having you know better parameters in those benchmarks um yeah very very important question um we are currently a bit digging into deeper <laughs> into this question. Um, um, we could see for just for a few outcomes, um, a certain trend, um, but that wasn't, wasn't very significant. So we're not reaching a significant p-value. Um, and for most of the parameters, for the outcome parameters, um we cannot um conclude that our centers with a higher volume are offering a better treatment
treatment or better quality. So um, I think that just highlights um, that it's fair to say that all of our included centers are are treating on a on a same quality more or less and the inclusion criteria or the benchmark criteria are um, applicable and valid. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I have another question. Um, so we, we keep bringing up this concept of this field evolving specifically with uh, vascular neurosurgery, with endovascular techniques evolving so quickly. We have this adversarial clipping versus endovascular debate um, that is simultaneously evolving. We're now seeing a shift of focus uh, to developing centers that have both open and endovascular capabilities and can provide a patient-specific approach to unruptured aneurysms. Do you think that the assessment of the efficacy of aneurysm treatment should continue to stratify outcomes based on microsurgical clipping versus endovascular treatments? Or should we begin to stratify outcomes based on centers that have a balanced availability of interventions versus, versus centers that have uh, a favor for clipping or endovascular treatment? Well, um, thank you for this uh, very good question. So um, from my point of view, this um, we, we certainly uh, need, need both disciplines yeah we we need we need the strong endovascular um, surgeons but we also need the microsurgical um, surgeons and uh, it's a bit different in um, in Germany at least than than in the U US I know that we have in Europe like in the Netherlands there are dual trained uh, new neurosurgeons who do both and in the US you you have it as well um, and and we we don't have it, but <clears throat> for example, in our uh, in our department, um, we we do it the way that we uh, discuss um, together every every uh, cerebrovascular case, and then we decide not not by um, not by who sees the per, uh, patient first, but um, who can treat it um, best. And then we decide uh, who, tr who treats uh, the aneurysm or the, the, the vascular uh, pathology. And I think that's, uh, that's, that's a very good way. Um, and, it, um, and, it, um, uh, and it's the best for the, for the patient outcome this, this way. So, but on the other hand, I can't, uh, I can't, uh, Comment on uh, on how how a dual uh, how a, um, a dual trained um, surgeon would do it. Yeah, Got it. Maybe Thank adding you. adding adding for specific, specifically for for these uh, benchmark outcomes. Um, I think it's I think we're not there yet to to maybe establish benchmark outcomes. Um, for like the balanced availability of, of endovascular and, and microsurgical and treatment. I think it's it's fair to say um, that it's a good first step to have the benchmark outcomes, the reference values um, for the open treatment by now um, to compare future, future techniques and maybe approaching it in the next years to, to combine open and endovascular um, to to have yeah maybe a combined benchmark outcome that would be the ultimate goal I guess um, um, but yeah I think it's it's good that we're starting at least with a 
with a clear open open technique for now got it thank you um we're getting close to needing to wrap up i do have one more question first of all thank you for bringing this concept of benchmarking to the field of neurosurgery i think like dr spiota mentioned it's it's so important that we we look at ourselves internally and, and establish these uh, benchmark parameters so that we can uh, make sure that we're, we're pushing ourselves to better help our patients. My question is, when do we relook at this? When do we bring out the next version of benchmarks? How often do you think we need to uh, internally evaluate ourselves? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very, very important question. Um, from my point of view, or my wish would be to do it every five years. Um, I um, I think that might be <laughs> impossible to to get all the data from every center every five years, um, but I think there needs to be um, there needs to be a specific time time frame. For example, five or seven or ten years um, to revalidate the benchmark outcomes. Um, I think it's an emergent field and um, I think the indications might change in the in the next years um, for open treatment. Um, so my goal would be to revalidate every five years um, at least, or maybe the next time with more than 15 centers. Um, but um, it's it was tough um, to to get all these data and to get all these centers on board this time. So I know it's going to be a challenge um, in five years again to to get the data. Sure. Well, I can only imagine the, the difficulty of getting this all. And, and I want to congratulate you all again on this incredible article. I, I know the entire neurosurgical community um, is, is very thankful to have this new established benchmark. Uh, but with that, I think we have to wrap up. We're at time now. I want to thank our our guest, Dr. Spiota, and our, our authors, Dr. Dorson and Dr. Drexler, for joining us today. Uh, it's been an incredible discussion. And again, for the listeners, I want to remind you that the CNS podcast activity is available to claim for 1.5 CME credit by visiting the podcast page on cns.org. And I would love for you all to join us next month for the next Journal Club podcast. And thank you and have a great day.